0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org.
1: Father God, we thank you for the mercy you've shown us through your son Jesus, for your grace that you've shown us through Jesus. We thank you that you are a great God, worthy of praise, worthy of worship, God, we thank you that you are in the process, Father, of resurrecting us. That we're on a path and a journey, Lord, to be more like your son, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help us this morning as we we come to your word, Father, to latch on to the truth found in it, Father, that it wouldn't just be something we hear, that we walk out and forget, God, but that you would place it on our hearts as something that, that dwells on our hearts each day, Father that we would learn what it means to be a people of prayer. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you. Be seated. Happy New Year. Oh, that was weak. Happy New Year. I mean, has anyone texted you Happy New Year yet? No one's ever texted you that? You've got to see it. It's the coolest thing. Like, rockets go off and everything on your phone. I'm easily impressed with technology, in case you can't tell. So no one's ever seen that? I'm going to text you, Andrew. Happy New Year. And it just automatically, when, it, when you open it, it it's fireworks. It saves money. You don't have to buy fireworks. <laughs> well, you know, New Year's is the time for resolutions. It's a time where the world says, what well, am I going to do different and better this year? And I'm really not big on resolutions because usually a couple of weeks later, I don't even remember what I resolved to do. So one year I made a resolution that I will not make any more resolutions except for this year. There's always room for exception. This year, we're going to all make a resolution together. And I think it's a resolution that we all would would agree that it's one we we would like to follow through with. And that is to resolve to have a better prayer life in 2018. Is anyone bold enough to raise your hand and say, nope, I don't want to do that? That's what I thought. So we're all going to do this together. We're going to resolve to have a more authentic, more thoughtful more meaningful prayer life, excuse me, in 2018. And I'm getting this from our passage today, and that really seems to be what Jesus is doing. Now, before we get started, I want to do a test. I want to test my hypothesis. I'm going to start to recite the Lord's Prayer, and I know Luke's version is different than Matthew's. It's okay if you get a little different version. But as I start to recite it, if you know it, boldly recite it with me. All right, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See there? You didn't know you had so much scripture memorized. This is great. Now, there's irony in the fact that when we start the Lord's Prayer, almost every one of us has already got it memorized. Now, the irony is the fact that it is the most popular prayer. Most people know it. Uh, one of my daughters, my uh, younger daughter told me, she said, I learned the Lord's Prayer from my soccer team. And I'm like, sorry, I didn't teach the Lord's Prayer. But she was like, everyone in the team recites it. And I was like, That's cool. Teams recite it, people recite it all. It's just one of those prayers that just about everybody knows. But the irony is, it's very common for us to recite that prayer as meaningless words. The reason that's ironic is because in the context of where Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, that's the very thing he's trying to combat. We're going to see in this text that Jesus is going to tell the Unbelieving Jew, the unbelieving Gentiles don't, he's telling Jesus, the, the disciples, excuse me, not to pray like the unbelieving Gentiles who heap up meaningless words. And then he says, instead, pray like this, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And it's just ironic that we take the Lord's Prayer, we memorize it, and then we just, our Father, Father we don't even know what it means. We just pray it because we've got, it. now, I'm not saying Shame on you for memorizing scripture that 's great, but what we 're going to do is take this memorized prayer and we 're going to turn it we 're going to turn it into an outline that then we 're going to use in two thousand and eighteen as an outline for authentic, meaningful, thoughtful prayer. Let me ask the Lord to help us this morning, Lord, as we look at your scriptures, as we study uh, this prayer that you gave us to be a pattern to be a a sample, a pattern for us to pray, to have authentic, thoughtful, meaningful prayer? Would you help us this morning? Would you make us, as a people, a people of sincere prayer? And we ask you to do this by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Where are we in the context? Remember, Jesus is on the mountain. He's talking to his disciples. He's teaching them what it means to be a disciple. He's explaining them all different aspects of the life of his disciples. And he comes to the topic of prayer. Now, let's back up to verse 5 and remember what he had already said on prayer. He said, now, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Oh, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that everyone might see them, that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, my disciples, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so we looked at that passage and we said what Jesus is saying is that his disciples' prayer should not be this hypocritical Acting like you're praising God with this public prayer when all you're really doing is trying to get praise for yourself. The motive is bad. And he says, that's what these religious, legalistic fakers are doing. They're hypocrites. They're not praying to God. They're just showing off to make you praise them and say, oh, look how wonderful they are. Look how spiritual they are. Jesus says to his disciples, that's not how how prayer works. That's not what prayer is for my true disciples. So the first thing he taught us was, don't be a hypocrite. Make sure your motive is to sincerely, authentically meet with God, to sincerely have some time with your heavenly Father," he said. Today he, instead of contrasting against hypocrites, he contrasts against Gentiles, which in the context means unbelievers. So in Matthew six verse seven, He says, now when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the unbelievers or the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Notice he says, pray like this. This is a pattern. He doesn't say, pray this, like just a rote prayer. Sometimes we say, well, let me go say my prayers like it's just this kind of rote thing. Jesus didn't mean for us to take this and memorize it and just simply kind of just heap up a bunch of meaningless words. And I said my prayers. He's saying, I want you to pray like this. I want this to be an outline, a, a sample, a pattern for you as you pray to me. But the whole point of this pattern is that it's not heaping up meaningless words And the scholars say that they were probably heaping them up meaningless words very loudly. Now, why would someone heap up repetitive words that really seem to be nothing? This sense of babbling that grew louder and louder and louder, and more words and more words. What does that say they think about their God? Hard of hearing? (laughs) Deaf? Dumb? Not really interested? And that's exactly how the prophets describe idols, false gods, they say, oh, you carry around. They carry around their little false gods, their little wooden images. Their God's not everywhere. Their God doesn't carry them. They carry their gods with them. And their gods have no eyes. They can't see. And their gods have no ears. They can't hear. No wonder the unbelievers praying to their false gods are babbling and heaping and louder and louder. They're trying to badger their gods into to do something. Hear me. Make a difference. And so what we see in the scriptures is your view of the God to whom you pray has drastic implications on how you approach your God. How does he describe the God to whom we pray when he says, don't pray like them in verse 8, don't pray like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. We're praying to our, verse 9, our Father in heaven. So as we come to this model prayer, we're learning how to pray a personal, not a hypocritical, but an authentic, a thoughtful, a meaningful, not babbling phrases that have meaninglessness have no meaning, but but a thoughtful, meaningful so so Jesus gives us this pattern to say this is this is going to help you have authentic, meaningful, thoughtful communion with your heavenly Father now isn't it interesting that at the beginning of teaching us how to pray, he says in verse eight. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That is not what I'm going to say if I want to encourage you to pray in 2018. Because when I hear that, I'm like, what am I praying for? He already knows. What's the point? Has anyone ever thought that? Anyone ever struggled? If God knows everything, then why should I pray? One of, two of us, okay, three of us, no one else. Okay, there's four or five, and the rest of us just won't admit it. So the point is, we wonder, why pray to a God who knows everything? We're going to look at that, and we're going to try to understand that. But when I looked at this whole prayer, I was really struck in my study this week by the fact that he begins with saying, he already knows what you need. And then every single item that we pray for, there's six items, three of, three of the concerns of God, three concerns of ours. All of them, God has already revealed in his scriptures this is what he is doing. This is what he has promised. He's already taken care of it. And so as we wrestle with the idea, why should we pray meaningful, thoughtful, sincere prayers to a, to a God who already knows what we need to do things that he's already promised he's going to do? I, I, re, I realized more than ever, I've always heard this, I've even taught this, but more than ever, the Lord worked on my heart and said, because this changes you when you pray like this. So let's, let's look closer at how we should pray, this pattern of prayer. First of all, verse 9, our Father in heaven. The first thing we notice is Jesus says we are praying to a father the Father in Heaven. In the previous verse, we already said, "Do not be them. Let your Father knows what you need before you ask Him." So the first key to authentic, thoughtful, meaningful prayer is knowing the God to whom you pray is your heavenly Father. He uses a relational term, child father relationship. The Scriptures tell us that when we are in Christ. We are adopted by God the Father. The the Father chooses to make us a part of his family. He chooses to lavish us with his unconditional love. He died to make us his children. If you are in Christ, you have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've submitted to him as king, God has adopted you and said, You are my beloved child. I love you. So let's think about what it means as a father and a child that what is this because some of us don't have the best fathers God is the heavenly father that means that he is the perfect father he's not a jerk He's not selfish, he's not a punk, he's not a lazy bum, he is the perfect father, he's the father of all fathers, he's the the very essence of what it means to be a good and loving perfect father. So let's think about three attributes of God as our father. First of all, his love, his love is perfect, his love is unconditional when when we come to sit at his presence, to sit with him and commune with him and pray and talk to him in, in a very personal, intimate setting, not this religious piety, but this personal, relational conversation with him, he sees us, if we're in Christ, as the perfect child. He, he, he doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't say, no, wait a minute, you got to work some of that sin off before you come into my presence because he says, if you're in Christ, I don't even see that. I don't hold that against you. I give you credit for the perfections of Christ. You're the perfectly obedient child, and I love to spend time with you. That should affect the way we pray. This holiday is more than ever. Get through this without crying. This holiday is more than ever. I just kept grabbing my two daughters, and they were like, oh, gosh, not again. Again. And I'm like, I love y'all. I Just more than ever, they're, they're growing up. They're becoming human beings. <laughs> they have their own personalities. And, and oh, man, Dan and I, the joy. I can't explain it. I didn't know it was just going to get more and more and more. It's painful. And I just loved being with them this holidays with all the stuff. Stop. Soccer stopped. Studies stopped. And we just spend time together and they're sweet enough to to act like they enjoy being with us (laughs) and and it just golly that just it hurts I'm like I just kept telling them girls you don't understand how much I love y'all and I'm studying this and I'm like god I'm sinful my love for them is tainted with sin and and look Dana's over there crying Madeline's like sorry babe My love, our love for them is tainted with sin. It's not perfect love. God's love for you is perfect, infinite, unconditional, uncontainable. The joy he has for us to sit with him and talk, it's mind-blowing. Who am I that he would want to sit with me? And spend time with me infinitely more than I love my children. He says, that's the kind of father that you have when you pray. Authentic, personal, relational love. God is also omniscient. What, is it, what does it mean to be omniscient? If I can get my tears where I can read, I'll tell you. God's omniscient means he has complete knowledge at all times. He knows all things at all times. Here's what Wayne Grudem would say in his systematic theology. He says, God fully knows all things at all times, actual and possible, in one simple and eternal act. He knows it all. Everything actual and everything possible. He knows it in one simple, eternal act. It's complete knowledge. Forever. This is who we pray to. In verse 8, he says, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, if that bothers you like it used to bother me, think about it a little more deeply, and you'll find comfort in it instead of it bothering you. What if it was up to me to remember everything I needed and to remember all the details of the scenario to have to come to God and present it to him so that he could actually do something about it. That's not good. I don't have the memory to do that. I can't remember what happened yesterday. If it's up to me to give all, all the, de- if prayer was, if Jesus said, here's what prayer is. Take copious notes and inform God in what you need and then he'll do something about it. We'd be in trouble because my, li- my knowledge is limited My memory is weak and I don't know that I'm going to make the right decision to tell God exactly this is what I need. Because I'm probably 90% of the time I'm wrong when I think I know what I need. And so it is a blessing to know that God knows all things actual and possible eternally in one act. So that when we come to him we can rest that we're coming to the all-knowing God who has perfect wisdom for every situation, who has perfect knowledge and understanding and memory and details. He knows everything. And so we come to Him like a child comes to the Father and we say, Dad, He says, I know, I know. Come here, let's talk. I got you. I, I, I can take care of this, but there's this communion. Well, then why pray? If he knows, why come to him and bother him with something he already knows? What is the point of praying to a God who knows everything? I like what R.T. France says in his commentary. He says, we pray because prayer is the natural expression of a relationship of trust that we have with God as Father. Again, why do we pray? Prayer is the natural expression of... Of the relationship of trust that we have with God as father. Why pray? Why do kids talk to their father? Because that's what's naturally going to happen when the kids trust the father. He knows more than me. He knows more than me. He has more knowledge. He loves me. He will take care of me. It's just the natural thing to do when we know God as father. Our all loving, all knowing Father. But one more aspect of attribute of God to think about. It says He is the Father, the heavenly Father. In verse 9, our Father in heaven. John Stott says this could be more literally translated, our Father in the heavens. Stott goes on to say the words in the heavens denote not the place of His abode or His dwelling so much as it denotes the authority and power at his command. As the creator and the ruler of all things, thus he combines fatherly love with heavenly power. And what his love directs, his power is able to perform. The creator of the universe who has all power, who spoke everything to existence, who knit you together in your mother's womb, has all the power to do whatever is needed, whatever his love dec- decides is best. So when we pray, we're not doing some pious, let me say my prayer, Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and will be done, everyone look at me, I'm pious. And we're not just heaping up meaningless words, we're coming as a child naturally comes to our Father who we know is all-loving, all-knowing, and all-powerful and loves infinite joy spending time with us. So the primary difference between the unbeliever's prayer and our prayer hinges on our view of the God to whom we pray. He's our loving, all-knowing all-loving, all-powerful Father who loves to be with us. Now let's look at the content of the prayer, and I'm going to have to move fast for time's sake. We can break the content into two parts, and the order is very important. Thankfully, you've got it memorized, and so when you pray, just let it in your mind, our Father who art in heaven, Father. Spend time meditating on how much God loves you, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving. But then you see there's two pieces God's concerns and then our concerns. The first three verses, 9 and 10, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. These are the things that concern God. These three phrases are the in, in the indicative mood, which makes them come across as praise petitions. So we begin our prayer time with praise And worship for the attributes of God, for the character of God, for his love, his power, his omniscience. You can take the Psalms out and pray through Psalms that just heap praise on God and worship God. You can read through a book in our library that hand put together attributes of God. There's many resources to help you think about God. And then as you know what the scriptures are talking about, you should focus on the concerns of God first. But notice these three concerns are all things that Scriptures makes clear that God is already passionately concerned about. The ultimate concern and passion of God is that His name be hallowed. That His name be revered. That His name be held as holy and separate and set apart. In other words, God's greatest concern is His own glory because that is what is best for us. And He is the most glorious being and so we we pray hallowed be your name and so what we see here we're not asking God to do something that he's not already passionately committed to doing and actively doing and that's going to be the case with every single one of these items hallowed be your name God says I am of all about my name your kingdom come it's coming and I promise I will finish it your will be done yes more and more every day Give us this day our daily bread. I promise I will every day of your life. And so what's going on in this prayer to a God who knows all things about things he's already passionately committed to? He's reorienting and realigning our hearts, our minds. Because what do we do every morning when we wake up? Except for the few of you who are perfect, The rest of us wake up every morning, and we want people to be all about our name. We want to be glorified. We're worried about our image. We're worried about our name. We're worried about people think. We're worried about our image of the community. What do people think about my business reputation? It is all about me, 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 me. And so we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we train our hearts in obedience, remembering once again, it all starts by beholding the glory of God. So what does it mean to hallow? It means to hold as holy, to treat as holy. So when we pray this, we're recognizing God's holiness. And we begin this time of prayer each day honestly and sincerely seeking to honor God, praying that he will be honored more and more by more and more people. And this is a daily act, day by day, combating the desire for our name to be made much of and promoting his name to be made much of. Verse 10, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he said, the kingdom is here. Jesus inaugurated God's kingdom, and he promised that it started when he came. His death, burial, resurrection, he ascended to the heavens with the Father. And he says, when I come again, I'm going to finish it. In the meantime, we're going to see his kingdom brought more and more as people come under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, the King of God's kingdom. And so when we pray this, we are acknowledging that Jesus is king. He is Lord, and he is to be submitted to both in our lives and to others. So we are praying that God's rule will be established more and more as we are witnesses, as the church is witnesses to the the fact that Jesus is the resurrected king. And we pray, God, let it be so more and more. May we see more and more people come to live under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is related to the kingdom coming, that more and more as we come to know God's will and his purposes revealed in scriptures through the daily practice of reading the scriptures and being taught the word of God, we learn what is the will, the purposes of God. And so we start to be conformed to the image of God. We start to see the reign and rule of God lived out in our lives. And it will happen. God says, He promises this will be in increasing measure in our lives. It's the process of sanctification. And as the body of Christ grows and as we deepen in our walk with Christ, His will will be done more and more on earth until the day He finally comes. And that is a part of the prayer. We look around and we read social media, we look at the news, and we think, my gosh, this, this earth is going to hell in a handbasket. This world is a disaster. This world is crumbling and everything is falling apart. And then we hit our knees and we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. And we're reminded that God God has promised that he is establishing his kingdom and his will on this earth, that he holds the hearts of the presidents and the kings and the governors and the senators and all rulers in his hand. And he says, I promise when I come back, I will finally establish my kingdom. And so it trains our heart to hope once again in the promises of God. So we begin our time of prayer, focusing on what God is concerned with. God's glory, God's rule, and God's purposes. Not our glory, not our rule, and our purposes. And so the beginning is a time of worship that's retraining, realigning, reorienting our hearts and our minds' attention on the things that concern God. I pray we will be obsessed with God's name, God's rule, and God's purposes in 2018. And that we will train this daily as we daily pray this prayer. Finally, we see the second half of this prayer has to do with making petitions to God for our concerns. It's not that we aren't supposed to bring them to God. We are supposed to bring them to God. But it's only after we have realigned our hearts and minds with the things that concern God, then we're in a proper position to ask God concerning the things that we are concerned with. Verse 11 and 12 and 13, he says, Give us this day. Notice the pronouns have changed from your name, your kingdom, your will, to now give us, us our, our daily bread and forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here, one commentary uh, explained that these are three Phrases that cover all of life. The daily bread refers to our practical, material, physical needs. We should bring all those to the Lord. The forgiving of our debts is the forgiving of sins. These are our spiritual concerns. Finally, the deliverance from evil. These are our moral concerns. And so we are to bring to the Father who knows all things, who loves us unconditionally, who has all the power to say, Take care of our physical needs. Take care of our spiritual needs. And take care of our moral needs. Let's look at those one at a time. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice the emphasis on this day daily. We are to be focused on today. We already studied the passage that comes after this where he says, Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. You pray about today. Pray that God will provide your daily needs this day. Now, God, our loving Father, has already promised, I'm going to give you everything you need for every single day that I have planned for your life. He already knows the number of days that you will be on this earth, and he already promises and guarantees, I'm going to give you every breath you need, every heartbeat you need, every breath, piece of food that you need. I'm going to give you the health you need. I'm going to give you everything you need for every day that I have planned for you on this life. So why are we praying? God, give us this day our daily bread. We're training our hearts to depend on the Lord. Because what happens every day you wake up? I go to work, I worked hard, I made a paycheck, I saved some, I put groceries on the table, I provided for my family, I'm setting up a retirement, I'm provided for tuition, I am doing all this because I am the master of my domain, I am the God who provides for my family. And then I get on my knees and I say, God, give us this day our daily bread. And it reminds me that it is God who provides through my obedience. For God to decide, not today, it's over. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then look at verse 14 and 15, which is related to the topic of forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Listen carefully. This does not mean, this is not a tit-for-tat, this does not mean that God is waiting for us to forgive others before he'll forgive us. It's not like, hey, if you forgive them, then now you're good enough, I'll forgive you. That may be what it sounds like in the English, but the scholars make it clear that what he is saying is... Those who have been forgiven much by God are going to forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven others. To the extent that we understand the enormous sin debt that God has forgiven us freely through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will be forgiving others. When we find ourselves so easily offended when someone hurts us, we need to be reminded of the forgiveness God has shown us. And isn't that the way it is? Someone hurts us, someone insults us, someone talks about us, someone does something wrong, someone stabs me in the back, someone hurts my heart. And layer after layer, callous after callous, our hearts harden harder and they grow bitter and we start to unforgive, we start to be resentful, we start to be hateful. And God says, you need to train your heart in obedience every day. You need to remember the unbelievable sin debt that you owed God and he freely has forgiven you so that you will be set free to forgive others. It's a daily practice of training our hearts in obedience, realigning our our hearts, minds, and souls to remember we have been forgiven. We must forgive. Finally, lead us not into temptation But deliver us from evil. But the word of God says God will never lead you into evil. The word of God says he has already given you victory over evil. So what are we doing praying those things that God has already said? The scriptures also teach us that God uses evil for good in our life. And so once again, we're not saying, oh God, I hope you'll do this. We're praising God with certainty and confidence that he is doing this. That he is not leading us to evil, but he is giving us victory over evil, that he is giving us victory over sin, temptation, the flesh, and the evil one. This is a constant reminder that the Christian life is spiritual warfare. It is not just a matter of flesh and blood. It's not just me pulling myself up by the bootstraps and just doing better and not falling again. There is a spiritual battle that we need to fall on our knees and admit and remind ourselves of our absolute 100% dependence on God and the Holy Spirit to grant us victory over the evil one, to grant us victory over sin and the temptation that seems to so easily entangle us. It is a daily reminder that I am powerless in the flesh, and I desperately depend on God to give me victory. So as the band comes, I want us to think about what this, how this should impact our prayer in 2018. The Lord is saying God wants us to come to him personally, relationally, as a Child does a father, knowing that he loves you. Does anyone, don't raise your hand, but I want your attention. If you struggle with the fact that God loves you, it's going to hinder your prayer life. Do battle right there. Study the scriptures about how much God loves you. If you think God's holding sin against you and you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you're not going to pray authentic, sincere, meaningful prayers. If you don't know God as he's revealed himself in scriptures, this is why prayer and the word go hand in hand. You have to know the God of the Bible. You have to know the kingdom of God as revealed in scriptures. You have to know the purposes of God. And this shapes your mind and your heart. And this enables your prayer not to be some pious, religious, meaningless prayer where you're heaping up words to either show off or to think you're gonna get something from God. And it transforms it into a power personal, meaningful time of relationship with your heavenly father. I pray the Lord will do that in our church this year. Father God, please make us a people who pray with authenticity, with sincerity, meaningful, thoughtful prayers because we are training up our heart in your ways in your purposes your will your rule your, your commands we remembering our obedience is completely dependent upon your enablement and your help Lord would you do that in our hearts this year would you take that gift that you've given us of memorized scripture the memorized Lord's prayer would you take that in our heart that you've implanted in there, and would you use it for good? Would you help us to use it as an outline for authentic, meaningful, thoughtful prayer? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.